Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. So I've just been thinking about how wild the world is. (laughs) Is that the understatement of the last two years? How wild is the world right now? How crazy is the world right now? And I've just been praying in my heart for my own life, but also for us as a church. How do we respond to all that is happening around us? How do we respond? How do I respond? And as I've been praying about this, I, I just feel such, such just a, a largeness of the heart of the Lord that the answer, like it always is, is to lift our eyes to Jesus. That the answer, like it is in any moment in history, is to lift our eyes to Jesus. To fix our eyes on Jesus, on the one who was and who is and who is to come. The one who is our peace in the midst of whatever we face. And I just was so comforted again as I've been just in the words of Jesus where he says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Not as the world gives, but a perfect peace. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So we look to Jesus. We always look to him, but certainly in moments like we are in, we look to him because he is the way. And he is the truth. And he is the life. And he is the way to God. And at the same time, he is God's way to us. Amen? The same way that we come to God is the same way that God comes to us. It's Jesus. He comes to us in Jesus and we come to him in Jesus. And I have to tell you right now that the only safe place is Jesus. The only safe place. He's always been the only safe place. But there are moments in history and in time where we realize it more that he is the only safe place. Why? Because he's the way. Because he's the way. He is the way to and he is the way through. Think about this. He is the way to and he is the way through everything that we're facing. He's the one who in Revelation, I read read this and we prayed this last week during our ministry time. But I want to just encourage you before I get into the heart of the message with it again. He says this in Revelation 1 verse 17. He says, fear not. He says, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, I had the first word and I'll have the last word. And I don't know about you, but those words bring me great comfort that Jesus will have the last word. He will have the last word about everything He's going to have the last word. He's alive forevermore, and, it, and he has the keys to death. In other words, he's saying, it's all right. You don't have to be afraid. There's nothing more you have to worry about because I have the keys. That's why I can wear this shirt that says, hope lives here. Hope lives here. No matter what is going on around me, I can stand in the place that hope lives in me. The one who has the first word and the one who has the last word, he lives in me. And so I can stand here in perfect peace. I want to. I want to share this morning on 
this idea, this reality of those who have decided to follow Jesus, this reality of being set apart. That the life that we have been invited to live, the resurrected life, the Jesus life, is a set-apart life. It is a set-apart life. It's, it's a life that is so different in every single way from the life that the world offers. The kingdom of Jesus is so different from the kingdoms of the world. John 18, 36 says this. Jesus said, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. I want to repeat what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom is not from this world. The kingdom that Jesus brought and that he established through his death and his resurrection hear me on this, is a total alternative to the kingdoms and the governments and the systems of our world. I feel like I just want to declare that over the room again today. The kingdom that Jesus brought and he established through his death and through his resurrection is a total alternative to the kingdoms and the governments and the systems of our world. Jesus lived a completely different, completely counterculture life. He did not use the ways and the means of this world to advance his kingdom. He did not use the ways and the means of the world. And one of the reasons that the gospel of his kingdom spread so quickly in the midst of such persecution, the intensity of the persecution of the day, is that people saw it, that it was a completely new way of life. It was a complete alternative to the life that they'd ever known. It was a complete alternative, a completely different way of living than the ways and means of the world and its empires and its rulers could ever have imagined. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus was a life that nobody could ever have imagined. And yet, it was, and it is. But it cannot be intermingled, and it cannot be joined with the ways and the means of the world and the systems of this world, whether it be politically, nationally, or otherwise. It's completely otherworldly. Turn to somebody and say, it's completely otherworldly. Come on. Completely otherworldly. And that kingdom has come, and it is coming through the followers of Jesus Christ, the church, which is to be set apart completely in the world, but completely unlike the world in every single way. Can I hear an Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be in the first two chapters today. And Peter writes this letter to Christians that are scattered all over the country that we now know as modern-day Turkey. These believers at this time, they were confused and they were discouraged by the persecution that they had been encountering because of their faith. These first two chapters sound a strong call to be set apart from the world. And I'll tell you, I wish I had time to just go through every verse in the first two chapters, but I would encourage you later today or tonight or tomorrow to actually read through your, for yourself the, the entirety of, of 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. 
But he says in this opening chapter that as Christians, that as Jesus' followers, he says, you are, you are set aside. He says, you are set apart and sanctified for obedience and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, the Messiah. How many know obedience is important? Obedience is important. You know, I've been thinking about obedience so much that so much is released through our obedience to the Lord. Amen? And, and as a father, I've been teaching my kids really from the beginning about obedience. And uh, it was interesting this last week in our house, we've just been having a beautiful time through this fast and just having amazing times at night, just together reading the word and praying and hanging out. But there was one night last week where it wasn't so beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, it was a crazy night. It was like something was in the water with our children. They were all going nuts. Have you ever had that as a parent? You're like, what is happening in my house right now? So I came home from work, and, uh, and I got home, and we had dinner, and I could just feel the, like, the, the intensity of the redheaded children, you know, <laughs> rising in the, and the redheaded wife. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I love you, baby. She's here. Oh, I didn't know she was here. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I, it was just like, they just started like arguing and fighting, you know? And like, I know your children never argue or fight. I have to tell you, my kids are honestly the best. I hate to, I hate to just, you know, point out a night because we've had so many good ones, but something special happened in this night. So anyways, they're arguing and fighting and I just kind of had had enough. Have you, as parents, have you ever just kind of had enough? I see that hand. I kind of had had enough, and I think I did something I've never done as a dad in all my years. I just kind of elevated my voice a little bit, and I said, everyone is going to bed. I literally, I was a 16-year-old. I don't think I've ever done that in 16 years. But I was like, everybody's going to bed. Get your Bible and read in your bed quietly. I sound like a terrible person, right? And uh, everyone was kind of like, oh my gosh, everybody in this house is going to bed. Christy too. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. So every, everybody went to, the kids went to the bed. And uh, so Christy and I were kind of talking in the, the dining room. We were going to go tuck them in. I was going to go make everything right. And uh, we're talking and I look up our stairs and at the top of our stairs is our youngest girl, Ruby May. She is nine years old, and she is the most incredible child. She is such a gift from heaven to our family. And, um, but she was standing at the top of the stairs, and, and she said to me, she said, I don't want to lay in my bed. I want to sit at my desk and read. I said, no. <laughs> Go to your bed and read. She said, and I, get, I got permission to tell this story. Apparently in my house, there's this new rule that if I tell stories about my kids, I actually have to pay them after. <laughs> so that's why the, the stories about my children are going to be limited because I don't want to be poor. But she gave me her, her blessing to share this. But she's at the top of the stairs. She says, I don't want to go to my bed. I want to sit in my chair and read. And I said, but that's not what I asked you. She said, she said, my chair is comfortable. I said, I don't care. I said, what I said was go to your bed and lay down and read in your bed. 
Now, at this moment, I have to tell you the thought crossed my mind as all parents that are tired have. They think, does it really matter? Okay, whatever, sit in the chair. But there was something in this moment that I felt like the Lord was like, no, 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 no. Don't give in in this moment. This is a teaching moment for Ruby. I said, no, you got to go to your bed and lay down. She said, I don't want to. I don't understand why. I said, you don't have to understand. The word of your father said, go to your bed. She said, I, I don't want to go to my bed, which this is unusual, you know? So I'm like, what is happening right now? You know, what is happening right now? She said, I don't understand. She says, why does it matter? And I said, it matters because I said. It matters because I said. And so a few minutes later, I went upstairs because I was going to pray for the girls and tuck them in and all that. And I was praying to the Lord Jesus that she was in her bed. (laughs) And guess what? She was. She was in her bed. And I got over there to her. And I I said, Ruby, I said, and she was a little irritated at me. She, She didn't say it. I could see it in her eyes. And I looked her in the eyes and I'm like, honey, I want to tell you, I know this doesn't seem like a big deal because your desk is only two feet away from your bed. But I said, this is a moment that God is teaching you something. That you are learning to obey the voice of your dad. It is going to help you to obey the voice of your father. And if you can't obey my voice right now, you will not be able to obey the voice of God when he speaks to you. And he's going to speak to you things that you're not going to understand. And he's going to speak to you things that are going to make you uncomfortable. And he's going to speak to you things that seem like that's only two feet away. But obedience isn't obedience unless it's 100%. She said, thank you. I said, praise God. <laughs> My work here is finished. <laughs> you know? And I felt like that is such a message for me and it's a message for us. Sometimes when we start getting a little away from what God has said, we get into real trouble. And I feel like the Lord is calling us back to the place of obedience. We have been set apart and sanctified for obedience and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, the Messiah. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, there it is again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what Peter's doing is he's giving us this call to action. It's a call to prepare. It's a call to be sober-minded. It's a call to be obedience. He says, you used to be ignorant, not knowing what you were made for, but now you know you're called to holiness. You're called to holiness. You're called to be set apart for God in every part and on every level. Church, I believe that even in this fast, part of what God is doing is he's setting us apart. 
He's allowing things that have been within us that we did not know were there to come to the surface, to get them out so that we can be full-hearted and wholly set apart and devoted to him. Where before, where we were not walking in obedience, I believe he's resetting us right now to obedience. I believe this moment is a, is a strategic moment for heaven for us in the midst of all that's going on in the world around us that we are being reset and in this moment we are, we are pressing into this. Listen to what the message says. It says it like this. It says don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better than you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life that's shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. I don't know about you, but I want to go for blazing holiness. My heart says, I want to go for blazing holiness. That is a vision. Come on. Verse 18, he says this, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Guys, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today that in Jesus, you too were ransomed from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers. That you were ransomed from that empty way of life that was handed down from generations to generations before you. I want to tell you today that that we were ransomed, which means we were bought back. We were bought back. We've been bought back by the blood of Jesus, which means that in Jesus, you have a different bloodline than the generations before you now. I know many of us really understand that we don't have to do what generations before us did, what your grandmother, your grandfather, your great, whatever those stories are if they were not walking with the Lord. But I want to tell you, it's not just an idea. It's a reality. We have a different bloodline. We have a di- I want to speak that over you today. If you're here today and you're concerned that you're going to become like something like a generation before you, that it is not righteous and it was patterns of this world, I want to tell you that in Jesus, no way, Jose. It's the truth. It's the truth. You have a new course. You have a new way of life. You're not bound to any of that from the generations before you. And if you've been unaware of this truth, I tell you, you can activate it right now and step into what he's paid for you. There's so much in these two chapters. I'm just kind of highlighting what I feel like the Lord has highlighted me to bring today. Jump over to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 9. He speaks to our identity And he says this, this is what he says. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. That is a mouthful right there, church. This is identity. He's saying, this is who you are now. You're chosen. 
that in Jesus Christ, you're a royal priesthood now. It means that we all have access to God. That whether you are a, you're a pastor or you're a teacher or you're a waitress or a nurse or a doctor or a business person, we all have equal access to God. You're a holy nation, which means you are a people that are set apart for his own possession. It means that we are his possession. We are to be possessed by God. Possessed by God to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are called to a lifestyle of marvelous light. A light of brightness that proclaims who he is. I want to tell you, this might, we used to sing this song that says these words, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I always start too high. We used to sing it all the time. It was this great little song, but I got to tell you, I believe that the reality of this is for here and now. That there is, it is not going to be just a little song or a little idea that actually, no, he's like, seriously, you are a set apart people. You are a holy nation. Other verses, other translations say you're a peculiar people, which means you are different. You are different. You are peculiar to the world because you are so different. A holy nation. Before we are Americans and a part of this incredible nation, we are first a holy nation. I want to say that again because I think in this moment it's easy to get confused that before we are Americans, and I am so thankful to be a part of this incredible nation, we are first a holy nation. Our allegiance is to the Holy One. We are his possession. The world does not own us. We are now possessed by God. Possessed by him. And he claimed us as his very own. And since we are to be his possession, we are not to be joined to another. Because we are his And he is a jealous God who gave his son to have us as his own. And I want to tell you today, what I feel in my heart is that God is jealous for our affections. God is jealous for our allegiance. God is jealous for our entire being. He does not want us mixed with this and that and the other thing. He wants to have us focus fully on Jesus. He's jealous for us. You're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. This is our inheritance. You are bought with the price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You are chosen now, royal and holy. Verse 5, a little bit before, he says, and now you're actually being built up as a spiritual house, it says, to be holy. To be holy. To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Once you were not a people, now you're a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Church, we are his people. We are set apart, and we are to live as set apart. We are very much in the world. We are very much to be in the thick of what is going on in the world, but we are not of the world. We do not live out of the ways and the means of the world. We live as a holy nation. Some of you are probably like, yeah, 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 we know that. I know a lot of things. I've heard a lot of things, but I want to be like a wise builder who actually walks out and does what I've heard. 
I want to be the wise builder that builds on what I've heard. I don't just hear it and go away, but I actually hear it and I obey and I do what I have been called to do. We have been called, this is what I feel to say to us today, we have been called to be radically different from the world and yet carry the heart of Jesus to the world by proclaiming his excellencies. The Passion Translation says this, just like that, he says, he did this, Jesus, so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders through the world. This is what we broadcast This is what we broadcast, his wonders. This is what we proclaim. I wonder, what are we broadcasting? What are we broadcasting? What are we broadcasting? This is what we proclaim. We're to proclaim what he's done. We're to proclaim who he is and how our lives have been radically changed. We proclaim Jesus. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Galatians 5, 19 talks about some of those passions of the flesh. And and many of them are what we would imagine them to be sexual immorality, impurity, drunkenness, all those kinds of things that maybe come to the top of our minds when we think of the passions of the flesh, but it also talks about strife. It also talks about divisions. It also talks about anger. It also talks about dissensions being the, 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 the passions of the flesh. And what he's saying is, I urge you, you're not from here. You're from another world. Abstain from those passions. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. We could say among the unbelievers. Keep your conduct among the pagans, the unbelievers, the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a word right there. Other translations say, you're aliens, you're pilgrims, you're foreigners in this world. He's saying now that, you're, now that you're living in God's new world, the one that began through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you left darkness and now you're living in glorious light. This is who you are. This is how you live now in the world. I think that now it's, it's critical He's saying now it's critical that you learn how to live and walk out the new way as pilgrims. I have to tell you today, church, I believe that it's as critical as it has ever been for the church and the followers of Jesus to actually walk out in obedience what Jesus calls us to be and how he calls us to live. Peter gets right to it with these specifics of what it looks like. Abstain from the passions of the flesh that are waging war against you. Keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. I just want to say this to you as a church. I cannot emphasize this enough that how we live in front of others, unbelievers, is of the greatest importance. How we are walking and how we are living in front of unbelievers is of the greatest importance. If they cannot see Jesus in us, how will they see him? Especially right now. If our attitudes and our conversations and our actions 
show them only a different flavor or a different version of the ways and means of the world, how are they going to know that this is any different? How will they know it's any different? He's saying, keep the way you live among them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, did you notice it didn't say that if they speak against you, he says when they speak against you. When they speak against you as evildoers, when they call good evil and evil good, when this happens, he says, what are you to do? Jump on Facebook and and yell? What are we to do? He says, keep your conduct honorable that they may see your good works. One of the frustrations for me in this time and and what we've seen how everybody responds is I'm saying, what does that do? What does that behavior, what does that conversation do? And I feel like this, what he's saying right here in this moment is he's, this is what you do. Keep your conduct honorable that they can see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Is that a good word? Some of you look very angry at me right now. I cannot tell. It's okay. I'm going to have the ushers make sure we don't have any stones in here. This is the point, though. As God's people, as a spiritual house that houses the Spirit of God, as a holy priesthood, he's saying you must never behave as they do. Otherwise, your real purpose, which is to reveal and proclaim who Jesus is, is going to get smashed. It's going to get stomped. This is why we must never respond like the world responds when unbelievers speak against us. What we do as holy people is, is we just keep doing the right thing the right way. We just keep doing the right thing the right way. This is what Jesus' people do. Verse 13, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let's not forget, especially in the moment that we find ourselves in church, that when we do good and when we do right, we actually silence the ignorance of foolish people. That when you see the foolishness of people, and we see a lot of that right now all around us, don't we? Do not be drawn into responding from the passions of your flesh, but do good. Do what's right, and it will actually silence the foolishness. As kingdom people, what is our response? Our response is to do good and do what's right. I know maybe some of you today are thinking, that's too simple. He doesn't get it. I want to tell you it's the Bible. We cannot refuse the Bible. It really does say that actually, right? 
This is the will of God. This is what obedience looks like. This is one of the ways that God is establishing his presence and his rule on earth as it is in heaven, as we do good. Verse 16 says, live as people who are free. Everybody say free. Free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Can we say that out loud? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit kind of speak to us about that. I'm not even going to try and unpack all that right now. I really, I mean that. I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak to us through that passage right now and what that translates into real everyday life. Honor everyone. Can we just say that out loud? Honor everyone. We've seen such an onslaught of dishonor and disrespect in our culture, haven't we? I've even witnessed it in the church. I think one of the best ways to practice honor is to begin by acknowledging that what God says about a person, that every person was made in the image of God, whether they're living in that identity or not. I believe honor actually starts there where we actually see every single person as if they were intended and they were made in the image of God and I want to see them through that lens. Even if they are not expressing that, that I'm going to see them how God sees them. In honoring, we recognize the value of a person as a person and whether we agree with them or not, we respect them. Did you know that you can actually honor people you disagree with? I do it all the time. Right? Don't you? I mean, I'm sure you've had conversations in this last season. Like, you're like, man, I am not on the same page with that. But you know what? We still honor and respect. We still value them. We don't devalue them. It doesn't say honor your friends or honor the people that you agree with or think like Peter says, honor everybody. This is what it looks like to be a holy people. This is what it looks like to be a holy people. Honor everyone. He says, love the brotherhood, which means show love to believers. Show love to believers in the church, the family. In other words, share with the family of God whatever is needed. I said this at the beginning of all this coronavirus stuff. Church, we should never divide over masks or any of this stuff. The church of Jesus Christ unites around Jesus. If we, if we can't hang out with each other anymore because of a few political things, we got a real problem. Show love to the brotherhood. The third one, fear God. This looks like that in my mind and in my heart that God is so powerful, he's so holy, he's so awesome, that I want to please him with every single part of my life, that I would never run from him, but I will run to him. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to actually hate evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Peter's saying, fear God. And then he says, honor the emperor. 
Honor your rulers. Respect your rulers. Honor and respecting our rulers does not mean that we agree with everything that they do or say. But we recognize that God has appointed them as ruler for the moment, whether we like it or not. Think about this. Just before Jesus was crucified, he's there before Pilate. What he says to Pilate is he says, you have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate ultimately gave the go-ahead for the murder of the Son of God. And what does Jesus say to him? The authority you have been given is from above. Think about it. Did Jesus ever dishonor Pilate? He says, honor the emperor. And we have to work out what that means. We have to work that out in everyday life. Am I scaring you all this morning? Verse 18, servants. Charity, I think it would be good if I had some music. I don't know if she's around, but I need a little more anointing than I currently have. (laughs) Thank you. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What? 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 Respect my unjust boss? All respect? Not just to the, when my boss is good and gentle, but also when he's unjust? How does that work out? He says, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Get this. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. See, we don't like talking about those kinds of things in Western culture. But this is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. Peter is speaking of the Jesus way. He's speaking of the kingdom. You think about this. Peter was with Jesus when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, if anybody slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other. If, if anyone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you can be sons of your father. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that. This is the moment, church, where we get to rise up and be the sons and daughters of the living God and walk in the Jesus way, counterculture in every way to the ways and means of the world. Guys, the crucifixion of the Messiah was the most unjust and wicked act the world had ever seen. Jesus deserved nothing but praise and thanks for all he did, and instead he was rejected, beaten, and murdered. What Peter is saying is, guys, because of the blood of Jesus, you now are a set-apart people, and this is how we now live. It is different. You're a holy nation now. You're a chosen people. You're a holy people. You don't live like the world at all. And you're from such a different kingdom than the world's kingdom. And we follow our leader who is Jesus. 
church, we gotta get this. It is not exactly fun until you really get the revelation of it. And I gotta tell you, following Jesus, there is great joy, even in suffering and persecution, because we are following him. But I'll tell you, it breaks off much of our Western ways and means. And I think one of the biggest poisons in our time right now is is the church taking on the ways and means of the world instead of the ways and means of Jesus Christ. And as a pastor of this church, I wanna wanna speak this truth and I wanna help us walk through this time. But the only way we can walk through it is with a total alignment to what he said and a total obedience to what he said. Guys, we can't be two feet away from the obedience. Even if, if the de- you know, the, the chair and the desk with Ruby, like two feet away is not obedience. Obedience is on the bed. We don't take our own variation of what he's saying and say, oh, a little of this, a little of that. No, 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 no. We don't take those ways and means. We walk in the obedience of what he's called us to. And that is how the world is going to know who he is. But if we're just offering a different flavor, a nicer version, we are going to miss it and the world will not see the light. Church, I feel this for us so much. We have this moment. We have this moment that in one way seems so awful, but in another way, I believe it's going to be the biggest move of the Spirit of God on the church if we will align with His heart and we will walk in obedience to the Jesus way. The world will see. I'm sweaty. We're out of time, so i got to just read this. I'm just going to read it. Verse 22, we're going to finish out chapter 2. He says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, when he was verbally abused, he did not revile in return, meaning he did not return with an insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. What would happen right now, church, if we continued to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly? What if we put all of that's going on around us and we just said one day all will be revealed? That we said, I know that God will have the last word. Jesus was the first and the last. He will have the last word. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is who we are. The kingdom that Jesus brought and that we are now in is radically different, church, in every way from the world around us. Our call and our mission is to live from that kingdom, walking in the Jesus way and releasing it every step that we take. And we just read very practical ways in which we do that, where we will see heaven come to earth. Yes, heaven comes to earth when people are saved, delivered, and healed. But heaven comes to earth as we break in through the darkness with the light of Jesus, through the example and the conduct of our lives. 
my prayer is that we would be through our living that we would broadcast the glorious wonders of Jesus everywhere we go that we would be an offering a complete alternative to the ways and the means of the world and that through our lives and our actions many will glorify God church we are set apart